was I. We were all younger. But I've got the privilege to preach for him about everywhere he's pastored, and he's preached for me, and they're a blessing. They were our neighbors for a while, and our kids lived right next door to each other, and we had great time and great history together, and it's a joy to have him tonight to be here, and you're going to be blessed by his ministry. Let's give him a hand as he comes. Praise God. Hello? It's good to see everybody. I was telling Pastor John that um, I'm going to talk a minute while they get this sound set because my voice is going to be different than anybody else here on staff. But I'm on vacation too. This is like, this is, I'm on holiday. I'm traveling around the world, and here I am in Kingman, Arizona. So how many are glad you're in church tonight? You glad you're in God's house? Amen. You all look very well fed. And so that's good news for all of us. But uh, how many of you know, believe that Jesus knew we'd be here tonight? He knew knew you'd be here. He knew I'd be here. He's way ahead of us, and I always appreciate that. And he's got some things he wants to speak to us, but I'm glad to be here tonight. I'm glad to be with Pastor John and Kathy and the rest of the staff, Alex and his wife and Harry and Joni and just all of you. Good to be here. And I live in... uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, actually closer to Fort Worth. I've been there for about four and a half years now and enjoying God's, God's favor and blessing the church that I'm on staff there. But I came home for Thanksgiving. My family all lives in Prescott. My brother retired, lives in Lake Havasu, doggone him. And um, I'm going to go see him and hang out for a few days. But we're in God's house tonight, so I want you to just open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. When we moved to uh, Texas, to the city of uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, I spent most of my life in small towns. I've pastored in some larger cities in Australia, but in America, I've always been in towns, you know, around twenty-five to 30,000, never large cities very much. And so moving to Texas in 2013 was a big change for me, and we didn't really know what area of town we wanted to live in. But we ended up moving in an area called Keller, and just north of us is the Texas Motor Speedway, and that's a NASCAR thing. And so I never really followed NASCAR, but if you, when you live that close, you start following them whether you, <laughs> whether you want to or not. And uh, they just had a big race here just about a month ago and stuff. And so anyhow, uh, I taught a series in our church uh, this last year called Built to Win. Because when they build NASCAR cars, how many, nobody shows up to lose. They, they build those cars to win. And I was thinking about the analogy of how is a believer in Jesus Christ that I'm built to win too. That everything that I need, the Bible says all that pertains to life and godliness is in Christ Jesus. In other words, everything I need to live for God, I have in my life. That, that when I got saved, God built me to win. And so everything that, that, uh, that I, every, every gifting, every grace, every blessing that I need to finish this race, God has already placed in my life, and uh, he has given everything I need to finish this race, and to run a good race, and to, and to finish, and to be a winner in God. And so this truth is reinforced over and over in Scripture. Uh, Philippians 1.6 says uh, from the Message Bible, there has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. In other words, everything God has done in me, he's going to bring to a flourishing finish someday. Hallelujah. 
Uh, you know, Harry talked about that I used to be young. I'm still young. Listen, I'm going to live forever. If I'm going to live forever, I'm pretty young right now. I've got to tell you that. And uh, the reality is, is that uh, God has given me everything I need to finish this race when I was in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s, and in everything after that to, to finish the race. And so the book of Hebrews calls God, calls him the, what, the author and the finisher of our faith tonight. And so I want to talk to you tonight about uh, Built to Win and Determined to Finish because it doesn't matter how well built we are. Doesn't matter how well equipped we are if we don't finish the race. Doesn't matter how, all that God has placed in me is for naught if I don't make my mind. I'm going to finish this race no matter what. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul is, uh, is making the analogy here of the Christian life as a race. And this is what he says, verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an, an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I want you to just think about two things tonight. One is the, the finishing test. I was reading about NASCAR. It was the last race for Dale Earnhardt Jr. in Texas this last month. And so there was a very big event and there was very, very well attended. Traffic was just a nightmare. But every car that is built for race day in a NASCAR race is built to win. Nobody builds a car to lose. Everybody builds a car to win. These machines are incredibly precise. I have a brother who's a, a, a top-notch mechanic. He, one of his off-road cars, he had a NASCAR engine put in that car. But the builders of these cars spare no expense. A Generation 6 NASCAR Sprint Cup car can cost upwards of a half a million dollars, one car. And they, everything you can put in a car, every, every edge, every bit of technology, everything to increase horsepower, speed, handling, every detail from the tires to the grip on the tires to the, the air pressure, every single thing you can think of to make a car go fast and stay on the track and win a race, these guys are professional. I was playing golf the other day right before the race, and we were playing with, with a, a team of one of the uh, – drivers. His whole pit crew was out there on the golf course. I thought, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> They're all out with us. But the, these guys were talking about the race. And so every car is, and that starts that race is built to win. But what do we know about the race? They don't all win. They're all built to win. Everything has gone into them so they can win. But they, at the end of the day, only one car crashes or crosses. Some crash. Many crash. But one car gets the flag. And so just like the Christian life, it's a race from start to finish. And so I was thinking about this. Every car and every driver has to survive all the drama and all the pitfalls of a race that goes hundreds of miles and in excess of 200 miles an hour, and there's only one winner. So what happens to the others? What happens to the, the, the cars that don't finish? And this would make a great sermon someday. Sometimes, though they're built to win, 
They'll have an engine failure. Everything has been done that they could possibly do. But how many of you know you can do your best, but things go. Something internally goes wrong. Engine blows, something goes, because that's just part of racing. And so I want to tell you that this is one reason some believers don't finish the race. They had everything that you have, but something on the inside went wrong. That's why there's so often in Scripture there is reference made to keeping the heart and protecting the heart, protecting that part that's inside of you. I've been doing a series out of the book of Nehemiah, and there's a beautiful analogy of Nehemiah as a type of the Holy Spirit, having a concern for the people of God. And he wants to return to, to, to a city where the temple's been restored, but the city lies in ruins. And there's a beautiful picture there of your spirit that has been renewed and reborn and growing in God, but your soul, which is the city, the, 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 the temple's having no effect upon the city because the walls are torn down and the mind and the emotions and, 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 and your body, those things in your life are all under attack because there's no defense, because the temple by itself has to be protected. And so there's an internal failure sometimes that comes in people's minds. Sometimes it comes in their emotions. Sometimes it comes through their choices. And so all failures begin on the inside. And so sometimes they don't finish because there's an internal failure. Sometimes they fail to finish because they get into wrecks. You know, people in church get into wrecks. People in church run into each <laughs> crash into each other sometimes, don't they? You pass as long as I have. I've seen some big wrecks on a Sunday morning. Amen. And the reason the Bible, the, the Bible speaks so highly of my need for wisdom is because of the disasters in life that come from bad judgment and that come from making wrong choices. And so how many of you know your life would be different if you'd, if you'd made all good decisions all those years? Sometimes people get angry. Sometimes drivers get angry, don't they? They get offended because some guy cut them off or some guy ran them into the wall. And so they aggressively will crash into each other on purpose because they get angry and there's a failure and they get into a wreck. Sometimes they get caught up in somebody else's wreck. There's a lot of times that Christian people have a problem because you get involved in somebody else's problem. It's not even your problem. They've had a wreck. You could have drove right on by and finished the race, but oh, no. <laughs> you got caught up in their debris, and before long, you're involved in, a, in an argument or a fight or a strife that's not even yours. I've seen, so often in church, I've seen people leave church because they got caught up in somebody else's grievance, and they end up sidelined or embittered because of it. Proverbs twenty six seventeen says, He who passes by... And meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Not a good idea. Right? If you want to finish the race God's called you to run, sometimes all you have to do is mind your own business. Yeah, don't get caught up in that wreck. Don't, don't, don't get involved. That's somebody else's crash. You'll have your own later. Keep moving. Right? 2 Timothy 2, 23, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing they generate strife. So sometimes they have engine failure. Sometimes it's an internal thing that causes us to not finish the race. Sometimes we get reckless. We get angry. We attack other people sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in somebody else's wreck and somebody else's mess. Sometimes we, they fail to finish because they don't make a pit stop. 
They, they've lost races because they ran out of gas. They ran out of gas. Yeah, they think they can just do it. Or the tires failed. And so they didn't want to, they didn't want to stop. They didn't want to take time out from running the race because they were doing good and they didn't want to stop and do any kind of maintenance. You know, sometimes it's easy to think, oh, honey, there's going to be church on Sunday. I know, but we're going to be busy. And you can miss your pit stop. And you can miss your refueling, can't you? You can miss the maintenance that comes when you're gathering in God's house with God's people, singing God's praises, and His Spirit ministers and heals and touches you. Races are lost because sometimes people don't have the, don't have the spiritual strength to go on because they've neglected refilling and being touched by God. Sometimes drivers get disqualified for violations during the race, or in, when they built the car, they cheated. Those cars are built to specific qualifications. And, and, and if you win the race, then they come and check the car out to make sure that your car was legal. And so you and I, we have to run this race, the Bible says, with patience. We need to run this race with a wisdom. And so sometimes uh, Paul talks about becoming disqualified himself. Sometimes drivers get disqualified and they get uh, penalized after the race because they've ran the race and they finished, but they didn't like somebody else in the race, and they find them and they fight in the pit. <laughs> they fight each other with their helmets on, not fries. And so you have this entire analogy of that I could talk about a lot of things here, but I need to move on. I said all that to say this, to put the, the idea in your heart tonight that it's not enough that you and I start well and have a few good laps. We need to all finish this race. Every person in this building tonight needs to cross the finish line strong. I don't, care, I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your conditions are. None of that matters. God has given you everything you need to finish this race. And finishing is not a given. It's a goal. And Paul said, run that you may win. Because it's possible that you run but don't win. And that's why in Hebrews 12, 1, 2, it says, Therefore we also... Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What Paul is saying is that you, you cannot run this race with certain weights and certain sins in your life. They'll finally pull you down. And so it doesn't matter how, how good you might look. You might be doing really good for a number of years, but if there are certain sins in your life, they have a capacity, whether you know it or not, they're dragging you, they're slowing you down. Every lap, you're a little slower. Every, every year, you're a little less spiritual than you were last year because there's leakage and there's breakage in your life. And those things have to be tended to because it isn't enough to run. Paul says you have to run that you may win. So the real test is not that you're in the race. The real test tonight is that you finished the race. You know, I got saved in 1971. I was 19 years old. I had no idea I'd be alive this long. <laughs> to me, it's, you know, it's just, who knew? <laughs> who knew you could actually get old? It's weird, you know. But the reality is, you know, that my race is not done yet. It's changed many different times. It's changed in, in different tone and texture and, and intensity. And sometimes I, I run like the wind. Other times I barely make it around the block. And so I'm finding that, you know, it's one thing to run it, but it's, it's going to be another thing to finish it. 
Because it's like when you get towards the end, there seems to be more potential for, for, for quitting. Sometimes folks become discouraged. You know why? Because things didn't turn out the way you thought they should. Well, welcome to the human race. Yeah, how much of your life has actually turned out exactly the way you thought it would turn out? Come on. And so listen, you know, there's a lot of things that didn't go the way you thought they should go, but there's no, that doesn't mean it's, 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 it's no time to quit. You put that stuff behind you. You put that stuff aside and say, God, I, I don't have any answers for that. All I know is the race is not done. I'm going to run with faith. I'm going to run with joy. I'm going to run with vision and finish this race you've called me to run. And other folks, they think, well, they, you know, I've lost so much. I, you know, there's no sense in me even trying. I'm so far behind. Oh, no, no. I don't care how far behind you are. You don't have to come in first, but you have to finish. You don't have to come in first, but you need to cross the line. And so whatever it takes... Whatever you need to make that happen, God wants to help you tonight to lock in to a finishing stretch and a finishing touch. I want to talk to you about that tonight. Everything I said has been aiming at this one concept, a finishing stretch, a finishing touch of your life. A few years back, I was preaching in Fresno, California. Have you ever been to Fresno? And I was preaching there, and I didn't realize how close Fresno is like to, you know, Yosemite. It's right up the road, and Kings Canyon National Park is there. And so we did a little bit of sightseeing while we were there. And the most amazing place they took us to was Kings Canyon, which is the home of the largest grove of sequoias, giant sequoia trees in the entire world. There's 16,000 sequoias in that national park. They are the largest living thing on the planet. And some of them are over 3,000 years. Think about that. 3,000 years old. When you see them and you stand next to them, your mind can't comprehend this, it's a tree. Because they're so huge and they're so enormous and they're so majestic. And they just stretch to the sky. And there's something about them that just makes you feel humble. But I was reading an article about these trees that, that we've been losing some of our sequoias. In recent years. And every time we lose one, it's a huge loss. It's a, tr- a tragedy. You know, you saw this last year with that tree that they had the hole cut in. Bad idea. For the cars you drive through, it finally fell. But in recent years, some of the oldest and the largest sequoias have died. And in spite of their size and their strength, you know, the bark on a sequoia is 18 inches thick. So they can go through a fire, and the fire can never burn far enough through the bark to kill the tree. Just because the fire moves too fast and goes through and burns the rest of the forest. But they're, they're basically impervious to the wind and to fire and to lightning and to flood. They're, but they're amazingly fragile in one area, and that is their roots. That you would n- never believe how close to the surface of the ground. Their, their roots do not go deep. Their roots are kind of shallow, but they go out very, very far. And so after the loss of one of these giants recently, park rangers and scientists began to take a look at the problem, what was killing these trees, and they came to an amazing and a starting conclusion that the main cause of death of these 3,000-year-old sequoias was foot traffic. That all the tourists, hundreds of years, walking around them and taking pictures and, and standing and, and you know, just walking around them, 
have caused enough damage to the root systems, which are remarkably shallow, that it caused the death of the tree. And so now when you go to the sequoia, if any of you ever go there before you pass on, you'll see that they've got fences now around. You can no longer walk around the immediate root systems of the sequoias because the, the public has trampled them down and was basically human traffic was killing them. And I thought to myself, God, I think there's a lesson in that for me. That what's true of, of a sequoia is true for me. That my spiritual root system must be protected. What is it that feeds me as a believer? What is it that keeps me going? It's not sunrise. It's not money. It's, it's not any of that stuff. There's certain things that, I, that, that every believer has to do that protects your root system, that is tapping into the Spirit of God, tapping into the Word of God, tapping into the presence of God. And just like sequoias are very strong, we're very strong, but we have a very shallow root system, and it's more fragile than we would imagine. You know, over the years, you, you know, I've pastored so many people and, 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 and hear stories of them falling away from the Lord and leaving church and getting bitter or angry or going back into some sinful activity. And I know that it's not because they're evil or, or flaky people. I think it's just because they didn't tend to their root system. They didn't protect what feeds them. See, you better learn to protect the most important part of you. The most important part of you. That's what has to be protected because that's what the enemy is after. That's what he's taking shots at. That's what he wants to undermine. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all, for it determines the course of your life. And I can tell you from experience as a leader that whenever the outward visible results of someone's failure comes to my attention, it's because inwardly the heart had been weakening for some time. That the, the, the long before it shows on the outside, that weakness is on the inside. And the thing I learned the hard way is the enemy of our souls is a patient foe. He'll take years with little footsteps, little, little touches that don't seem important at the time. But those little compromises become convictions if you're not careful. And so he erodes areas of our personality. He kills the essence of who God's trying to make us. And so one of the things I was reading about is these, these fences are called by, by naturalists sacred enclosures. And I thought to myself, isn't that what we need? A sacred enclosure around my heart. A sacred enclosure around my spirit where my relationship with God is number one. And, it's, and I don't let anything imperil that or, in, or infringe upon that or impugn that in any way. That, I, that sacred enclosure is where I spend time with God and God spends time with me. And it's not open to the foot traffic of, of tourists and visitors. That's a private and a sacred space tonight. There are practices of our daily lives that protect our spiritual root system, that enables me to take in the nourishment that I need. It's the roots that feeds the tree. That's where they get the nutrients. That's where they get the water. That's where they get what enables these majestic giants to live and survive for so long. You're no different. The devil would starve us to death if he had his way. He'd starve us from fellowship. He'd starve you from the Word. He'd starve you from the Spirit. He'd starve you, and then he, he would feed you garbage in its place. There are practices that each of us has to have as the years go by. 
because God wants to talk to you. Listen, the one most amazing thing to me is that, you know, God wants to talk to me every day. I believe God wants to talk to me every day. I'm not listening every day. But he wants to talk to me every day. He wants to speak some, something into me. He wants to encourage me because, honestly, encouragement is God's native tongue. That's, that's, that's the language he speaks. He speaks the language of encouragement, the language of edifying, the language of building, the language of blessing. But you'll have to, you'll have to, you'll have to protect and have a sacred enclosure around your time and around those, those, those events when God wants to speak to you. And I believe that's the finishing touch that every life so desperately needs. It's easy sometimes, as the years go by, to pick up your Bible and say, well, I already know, I, I know what that verse says, I know what that verse says, I know what that verse says, and just, you know, just skim through it, click your journal or whatever. Can I tell you that you can read a verse that you've read a thousand times, you can read some morning in your sacred enclosure with an open heart, and it will leap to life before you. It's like you never saw that before. Listen, I've been preaching for a long time, since 1974. And I can tell you, man, I've read this book a few times. And I'm always astounded how often God can encourage me. God can speak to me. And not only God, but you know, I've had David encourage me. David's encouraged me. Moses has encouraged me. Paul has encouraged me, and, and not because they come to my house, but they come to my heart through God's Word. Jeremiah's inspired me. Elijah has rescued me on numerous occasions. That I'll pick up the Bible and begin to read it, and when I have nothing left in my personal tank, when there's nothing left in Greg to keep me going, I can pick up the Scriptures and literally read a verse that will rescue me. And lift me from a despondency or an apathy or a lethargy that is so easily sets in, especially as you get older. Amen. It's important to guard. There are going to be times in your life, listen to me, when you're just weary. You're fed up. You'd, you'd easily cash it all in if somebody would pay you. <laughs> if somebody would take it. The times when the foot traffic of other people have trampled and weakened our roots. And it's in those times when the, the greatest danger of crashing and there's no bright lights that go off. There's no alarms that are warning you. It's in those times when only a sacred enclosure, a protected place around your heart can keep you strong. You know, personally for me in life, my greatest experiences have not come in church gatherings. I've been in church a lot. And I love church. I'd I, I, I fight for church. But the times when God has done the deepest work in me have not come in services. They've come in that sacred enclosure. Because I can say things to him there that I would never say here. I can open up to him in a way that's so deep and so personal. And he so, he so loves that when I'll bear my heart. And, I, and I, I'm not trying to pretend and make him think that I'm doing okay when I'm not. Nothing annoys me more than people that pretend to be positive when in reality that's just a mask you're wearing. Yep. <laughs> I, the church I, I, I work at on staff is a very positive, very faith-filled church. And at times they annoy me. <laughs> and I told them one, one time in staff meeting, I, I told them, I said, listen, you people are so positive, it's just annoying. And they, <laughs> because they're like, how you doing? Blessed and highly favored? Yeah, well, your leg just fell off, bro. What's, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, they're just like that. <laughs> so, 
actually a true story. I, I won't tell it tonight. I'll save it for a future date. But listen, there are, there, what God wants from me, my greatest gift to him is my transparency. It's, it's an awful thing to want to make God think you're something that you're not. Like he, like he doesn't get it. Like I'll just pretend to be this and he'll never know. No, he'll know. And that's why there's something in the scripture that's so wonderful about it. That's when you read the Psalms. You ever read the Psalms? When you read the Psalms, what's David doing? He opens up many times complaining. And he's this and that, and oh, blah, I hate this, and I might smash that. But I praise you, you're the greatest God that ever was. I want to love. That's, that's, that's the Psalms. That's why you like them. They're like milk and magnesia for your soul, man. They're awesome. Because they're full of, you know, David, just his heart being poured out and an openness. And so there are times in our lives where you just need, the, the thing that will keep you isn't just even coming to church. Because nothing greater will happen here than is already happening in your life. What, what happens here augments and, and enhances what's already going on in your life. So if you never feed yourself and you eat like once a week spiritually, how are you doing? How's that working out? You'll be losing spiritual weight like crazy if you only eat once a week. You'll have no way. You'll be blown away by every wind of doctrine. You'll be blown away by by any trial or testing that comes along. You want to put some weight on in in, in the Spirit? Read your Bible. Pray, Pray in the Spirit. Worship God. Love God. Sing to God. Psalms 107, 20 says, He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. So here's the thing. I think this message is more important tonight than ever in in my lifetime because each of us deals with so much foot traffic. In other words, the noise, the chatter, the traffic, the crowds, the politics, the talk, radio, the social media, the cell phones, the tablets, the television, the bills, the worries, the responsibilities, the deadlines, endless chores, demanding children, relational bruising. It's all foot traffic. And, and we're receiving more of it now than we ever have in our lives. The amount of information that we get, that we expose ourselves to, is more than any generation that's ever lived. And the solution is that each of us has to protect the most important part of us. i got to protect my spirit i got to protect the deep down part of my life that links me to Father God. That part of my life needs to be sacrosanct. That part of my life needs to be protected. It, that, that deep down part of me, that spirit part of me, that needs, that's, why, that's why Nehemiah wanted to rebuild the walls. Because the temple was vulnerable to the traffic. Because here's Jerusalem has this beautiful restored temple. It took 90 years to get that done when they came out of, of exile. And they barely got that done. And so Nehemiah hears from his friends who have visited the city. They said, how are things in Jerusalem? And he said, the people are in great distress and reproach because the walls are torn down. They never rebuilt the walls. And so here you have a spirit where God is active and moving, but it's not affecting the city because the city's full of rubble and garbage and broken down walls and gates that have been burnt with fire. And that's your soul. In other words, when you get saved, your spirit is whole and healthy and sound, but your soul is wounded. And it carries the residual of all the things you ever opened it up and exposed it to. Did you ever notice when you first got saved that you weren't perfect? 
that you still had issues, that you could still lose your temper because your emotions were not spirit-controlled, and that your mind could, couldn't keep out certain thoughts and lust. And why? Because you, you, your mind hadn't been renewed. And so your spirit's saved, but your soul is, is, is a mess. That's why we're here tonight, to do some soul work and soul care. Because my spirit's fine, but my spirit is trying to heal my soul. God wants what he put in my spirit to get into the rest of my life and to touch me and to help me. It's the, it's, it's the city that's your soul tonight that needs the protection. And that's why Nehemiah said, we, we got to get these walls built up. And the moment you start building walls, there's going to be opposition. It's going to be resistance. Enemy doesn't want those walls rebuilt. He, doesn't, he, he couldn't stop you having the temple, but it can stop the temple from having any influence upon the city. Nothing he likes more than to see people get saved and have your salvation have no effect upon your life. Have no effect upon the way you think, the way you, the way you act, the way you feel. I think God wants me to have a spirit-controlled temperament. I think he wants me to be able to control my temper. Someone say amen, at least a wife somewhere. He wants me to be able to control my mind. So that I'm not open to every thought the enemy tries to throw at me, every fiery dart that he shoots. And so that my mind and my feelings are what make me make decisions. How I feel, what I'm thinking, that's what I choose. When those things are right, your life begins to change. What I'm talking about this evening is protecting the most important part of you and understanding that that's your spirit. And so the personal, private, intentional time that each of us spends alone with God is the finishing touch that every life needs. Because sometimes we, we think, well, I don't need that. I'm going to be at church Sunday. No, no, no. You need every day. I don't, care if it's, I don't care if it's five minutes. I don't, I don't care if you're so busy. There are so many Bible apps today. You can drive to work, push a button on version, and listen to your, to your devotions while you drive to work. And hear the word of God come into you. You need to get the word of God into you tonight. Somebody say amen. You need to get the word of God into you tonight. And you need to hear it, and you need to pray it and speak it. And I want to challenge everyone in this church tonight to a lifelong, the rest of whatever, whatever you got left. For most of us here, it's a lot shorter than what's behind us, right? But I want to challenge you to a lifelong daily habit of a sacred enclosure around the most important part of you, which are your spiritual roots, where you feed on God. Because if you don't, foot traffic will take a toll. Let me close with this. In Luke chapter 10, there's a great story. And it speaks to all I'm saying tonight. It's the story of Mary and Martha. You've heard it many times. It's in Luke 10, verse 38. Let me read it to you, verse 38, Luke 10. Now it happened as they went that he, Jesus, entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Everything else you do in this life will be taken away from you. 
All of it, dust in the wind. But everything you do that feeds your spirit will be yours for eternity. I don't know the relationship between Jesus and the two sisters, but I do know that the sisters recognized that he was the Messiah. They, had a pretty, they were pretty cluey. And one day when he came to their home, a rare personal visit, and each of them takes two different approaches to being around him, Mary drops everything. We're making a meal in here. I don't care. He's here. She sits at his feet in a classic disciple to, with a rabbi pose and lets him just feed. Can you imagine sitting? Can you imagine missing Jesus? Hey, I got a meatloaf going in here. That's how we are. You got a meatloaf going. You've got Cheerios and a banana waiting for you. Here's Jesus, you know. Lord, don't you care that my sister isn't doing anything? Don't you care? He goes, are you kidding? One thing is needed. And she has chosen that. One thing. What a revolutionary thought. Only one thing. There's only a few things in life that are necessary. Did you know that? The other stuff you need to do to survive, you know, to get by, but what's really needful is the thing that that Mary chose. The choices you make concerning the time you spend with God personally, not corporately. That's another sermon. Maybe I'll do that in the morning. Just a little hook there. But the key to finishing your race this evening is the time that you personally spend with God. There's never been a time in America when God's people know their, their Bible so, so weakly. We're the most biblically illiterate generation that has ever been. And that, that's, a, that's a shame because we have access to Bibles on every single corner in every format you could ever imagine. It's all there for us tonight to be able to read. First Timothy 4 says, Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better and promising benefits in this life and in the life that is to come. Would you bow your heads with me tonight for just a moment? Whenever you preach a sermon like this, because I've preached for so many years, people think you're chastening them. I'm not chastening you. I have as much Martha in me as I do Mary. And we all face the demands on our time. And there'll always be brush fires that need dousing. And there'll always be kids, and there'll always be a job, and there'll always be a marriage, there'll always be a house and a yard and a car, and there'll always be a chore. There'll always be something. But you have to come to a place in your life where you say, one thing is needed. The thing that cannot be taken away from me is the time that I spend with the Lord. I'm going to redeem the time. That means I'm going to buy that time, and it can never be taken away from me. Everything else will, be, will just never, it'll be like it never happened. But the, but the investment and the time of protecting the most important part of you, the spiritual roots that God wants to go deeply into his word and go deeply into his spirit and go deeply into your relationship with him as you cultivate that and learn to hear his voice and obey his voice and, 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 and covet his voice. If you'll make Mary's choice, you'll enjoy Mary's reward. And her reward was something that could not 
be taken away tonight. And so I want to encourage you, we're coming up to a new year. There's a brand new year right on the horizon. It's just, it's just a month away. And at the start of every year, people make resolutions. Can I ask you tonight, just as a friend, to consider making a powerful resolution about a sacred enclosure in your life, in your front room, in a, in a nice chair with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and an open Bible in your lap and say, God, this time is for you and nothing will take it away from me. Nothing's going to come. If I'm able, if my health allows me, I'm going to spend time with you and in your word and in your presence, and I'm going to make that the most important part of my day, and I'll go nowhere until I spend some time with you first. And I believe that we'll do that tonight. I believe God will make a great, great change in our personal lives, and I believe we'll finish this race strong. Hallelujah. We'll finish this race. We're built to win, but we have to be determined to finish. We're built to win. It's all, you, all you're, you were, you, God downloaded into you, hardwired you to win, to be a success. But you've got to make a decision to put all that into practice and make it work for you. Father, tonight I thank you for this church. I thank you for the word that's so powerful and so precious. Father, don't let us hear your word as a chastening tonight. Let us hear it, God, as an enticement. God, as a reward, as a, as a prize to be coveted, as a pearl of great price to sell everything to pursue, to spend time with you and in your presence where our spirits are come clean, where our minds are renewed, where our emotions are touched by the Spirit of God, and we become whole people where, you, where your presence in our, li- in our lives shows up in our soul and outflows of our body and the world around us in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for all that you're doing, all that you've done tonight. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. We're going to have the prayer team come tonight. If you need prayer, would you stand to your feet? Slowly or quickly, however you stand. Amen. I want to thank you for being a great crowd, a great audience. I want to thank John for the opportunity. But if you need prayer before you leave tonight, I'll be up front here for a little while. We'd love to pray with you. If not, God bless you and good night. We'll see you in the morning. If you're back, amen. One of these days we all will stay.